Hello, today I have Heather with me. Hi Heather, would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, I'm Heather Martin. It's very nice to be here with you, Donna, today. And um, I'm, well, most recently, I'm the author of The Reacher Guy, which is the authorised biography of Lee Child, the first um, ever biography of him. Um, and prior to that, I kind of worked in in languages and literature generally. So it's, um, you know, it's adjacent to what I spent my life doing, really. But my, I was going to say it's my first biography, but I was kind of clearing out a cupboard yesterday and I came across a biography that I wrote at school, which I'd completely forgotten about. It says biography on the front, beautiful lettering. And it's about, um, you know, the French uh, impressionist Paul Cezanne. So, you know, it's not my first biography. <laughs> Just the only one to get published. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so I suppose the two main questions are why Lee Child and how did it come about? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you could answer the why Lee Child question in so many different ways. Um, uh, and some of the, you know, it's not rocket science in a way. I mean, he is, has just been so phenomenally successful successful he's such um you know he's, he's sort of moved on from being a bestseller best-selling author to being a kind of um an institution really you know kind of bestseller rock star institution I think once you get the um CBE that's you know you're part of the establishment as much as he might dislike that it's a fact and you know one step away from national treasure that'll be next <laughs> <laughs> perhaps but so uh, I mean he's just such an extraordinary phenomenon and uh, as a writer and of course the character that he created and and the thing I think that makes him stand out as an author particularly is that he has created this character who has escaped the page just kind of never goes away I mean he's always popping up in conversations all over the place you hear about him in the most unexpected places in parliament you know in cafes um, in lecture halls wherever he's a reference point and so he's become part of popular mythology a bit like you know Robin Hood, basically <laughs> uh, everyone knows the the character Robin Hood even if they haven't read the stories he's just part of our culture and I think Jack Reacher is, is kind of um um, you know, acquired that kind of um, autonomy as well. So for that, for those reasons, I think. And then as to another why is simply opportunity. Um, you know how life is. Um, I, I kind of, I met Lee and this connects up with the how. Uh, I'd already read his books. I'd read one and then, you know, like so many other readers, I was hooked and I read them, you know, I didn't read them in any particular order. I just read them as they popped up as I came across them. Um, but I, I had read a lot of Jack Reacher books, probably all the ones he'd published by the time I met him. So I kind of met Jack Reacher first. And then I happened to meet uh, Lee Child in a social context in New York. And he, he was such, and I met him at a dinner and he sat next to me. This is pure chance, really. Well, not, I knew I was going to meet him, but the sitting next to me was chance. But he was such a... public that I hadn't you know attended any events or anything I wasn't that much of a groupie um we just got talking and we got on and you know one thing kind of led to another and I I sort of then noticed 
how interested people were becoming in him as a character as well as Reacher. And I think I was a step ahead of him there because he always said to me, ah, they're only interested in Reacher. They didn't want to know about me. And to an extent, that's true. But I, I, I mean, why are they queuing around the block to meet him, basically, <laughs> for three hours in the rain or something, standing for three hours in a, in a queue just to get his signature, just to say hello and then walk away again? So I sensed that there was a, a sort of um, an interest there. And I just felt that I'd like, I'd, you know, I, once I had the idea, I couldn't really get it out of my head. Just something I really wanted to do. And um, it, he took a bit of persuading, to be honest. Because <laughs> I think that's one of the things people don't realise. I think they assume that with such a famous um, individual, the biographer is approached by, possibly by the author, but usually by the publisher. And it's sort of some kind of arranged thing and... Um, but but it wasn't like that at all. You know, this was sort of me approaching him and saying, I think this is a good idea and I'd like to do it. And, and, I, and he eventually said yes. <laughs> yeah, I wondered, that's one thing I wondered actually was how much persuasion he would have taken because obviously I do these and I'd love. Well, to, it, you know, the thing is that <laughs> he was reluctant at first. I mean, he is quite a modest guy. He's, he would say he's from the Midlands, you know, he's from Birmingham. <laughs> He's brought up not to sort of uh, make a big thing out of anything he does. He's, it's the book that's the thing, not the author. And that, you know, he says all those things often and he means them. They're from the heart. Um, but so there was a certain kind of um, self-deprecation or modesty there. I, I, I mean, he can be incredibly arrogant, but he can also be very modest. So he can be both those things at the same time, like I suppose a lot of us really um, can be contradictory. But um, he, so he, he was reluctant for those reasons. And he was saying, oh, you know, when I stop writing Reacher books, people will just forget about me. I'll be nobody. Why, why would you want to do a biography? But um, I think we just kept on talking. We were corresponding. We became friends. We had long conversations. And then, of course, I think the tipping point was when, and I've told this story before, but the tipping point was when he sent me one of his books in Spanish and asked me, because he knew I was a, um, you know, a Spanish academic, essentially. And he um, asked me what I thought of the translation. And I was, I gave him a kind of um, analysis that said what I thought was good about it and what was bad. And I think he was very surprised by that. He was surprised that I didn't just say, oh, it's great, or oh, I didn't like it, that I actually kind of gave him a breakdown of what I thought was good and what was bad. And I think, well, he, I've, he has said previously that that for him was a really important moment because he felt that I really understood his writing and that therefore my desire to write the biography was, you know, that there had some sort of grounding in in, in interest and experience and ability. So that was kind of important. And then I suppose eventually I sent him some chapters and he quite liked them. So, <laughs> so you know, we thought, let's keep going. <laughs> it's like the extension of a long conversation, really. You know, if you're having a conversation and it just carries on. Yeah. And became a book. <laughs> And a very thorough um, book it is too. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, I've noticed um, on your uh, interactions on Twitter that um, Lee was quite touched and surprised by some of the stuff that you found out when you were researching for it. 
was that fun? I'm not, I'm, I'm not kind of, not entirely, I'm losing you there. Oh. I only heard a couple of words there about something starting out and fun. <laughs> <laughs> One thing. Um, I, I noticed um, with your um, interactions on Twitter, um, when you've been promoting the book that Lee said um, that you found out a lot of stuff that he couldn't remember from his childhood. So was that fun um, finding it out firstly and then reminding him of it as well? It was great fun, actually. And um, in fact, that was another, I think, important moment because I'd had a lot of conversations with him and got to know him quite well one-on-one. And then I basically thought, well, I can't just have his voice in this biography. I've got to hear from other people. And um, I, I want to hear from people who knew him before he became Lee Child. And um, I actually managed to track down some people from his Granada days without him you know, giving me any names or any information. And so I actually sort of came back to him and said, oh, so-and-so's told me this and so-and-so told me that. <laughs> and I heard from this person who sat next to you at Granada and I think he was a bit taken aback by that. And then that was another thing where he thought, she's obviously just gonna do it regardless. And then he gave me a couple of key names. He gave me the name of his basically two really close friends, one at Granada, and one at um, King Edward's school from when he was at secondary school. And also he finally, after much uh, uh, pestering, gave me the name of his English teacher at secondary school. And those three people were just gold dust. I loved talking to them and I stayed, have, I'm still in touch with them. Um, and they were so interesting. And I sort of went back and forth with them alongside my conversations with him. But the other crucial thing, of course, was they kind of hooked me up with loads of other people. It became a sort of network. So the guy from school, you know, said, oh, what about so-and-so from school? And so, I, you know, I pursued that lead and, and the same at Granada, really. And um, I just kind of, that way I was able to sort of spread the net more widely. And, um, you know, it was very useful because I was able to go back to, it was fun, sure, but it was also, and, and that's how I got to know him as Jim Grant, because of course all those people knew him as Jim Grant. They, some of them, and this fascinated me, some of them didn't even know he'd become Lee Child. Some of them didn't have a clue who Lee Child was. So there was a discovery for them. There was one woman he was at Sheffield University with, who um, he'd been quite friendly with, you know, it was part of his group of, of friends and she had no clue. And the next day she was off down to Tesco and started reading, you know, Jack Reacher books. So that was fun. So um, I kind of reconnected to him with people that he hadn't spoken to or heard from in some cases for 20, 30, 40 years. So yeah, sure. There was, there was a bit of a buzz to that. And actually when he find, when he read the final, the final first draft of the biography, because in a way that's all authorized means it means that he got a chance to read it at the end and give me you know do some fact checking and give me some um, feedback on what he thought um he did say that that was what moved him that most about reading it was the memories of um the, the fact that people could remember him at all and the fact that they were interested in talking about him and the fact that on their whole, on the whole, their memories were positive. <laughs> I think he just found that, you know, kind of very moving. 
because there was sort of a um, quite a cutoff point really between the first half of his life and the second in a way, you know. I mean, conversely, a lot of people who know him as Lee Child still don't realise or hadn't, you know, increasingly they do, but I still come across people who had no idea that, you know, that's a, um, a pseudonym, you know, that he was born James Dover Grant, whatever. So, um, yeah, that was that was fascinating. And I probably enjoyed that part of it as much as anything. And I really liked all the different voices that gave me so that it set up a certain conversation um, between them, even though they hadn't met. And it was a little bit of a way of fact-checking some of the things he said or at least cross-referencing, you know, what he'd said about his um, boyhood, yeah. Because, you know, when we remember our past, we it, it's basically a whole lot of stories, isn't it? It's stories that we've heard from our parents, from our siblings, that we've told ourselves over and over again. We all do that. And of course, he's a he's a storyteller by profession, so he does that like to the nth degree. Um, how much couldn't you include? Was there stuff that he told you that you weren't allowed to put in, and was there stuff that just wasn't relevant? Well, yeah, that's an interesting question as well. I mean, he he really is not someone who he didn't intervene at all on my interpretation of things. Uh, so if I showed him in a better or a worse light, he just said, that's up to you. You just, you know, say it how you want. He was very, very permissive in almost every respect. And, and when he did that fact checking read, it was so funny, really, because the things he corrected were, to my mind, very trivial. I, the example that sticks in my mind was um, there was a time when he was putting up some shelves. This is student days or just after student days at university, he was putting up some shelves in this flat that he'd bought, was the first flat he bought or rented. And, um, you know, he'd knocked a hole in the wall because the walls were so flimsy. And he was telling me this because, the, you know, to give me an idea of the kind of place he was living in. And, well, that's how I wrote it. And then when he read it, and this is like a couple of lines in 500 pages. When he read it, he said, oh, that was not that house. It was my student digs, the one before. And in a way that makes absolutely no difference you know it's a tiny detail but I corrected it and you know so the things that he corrected were like that really there were um I mean I think I self-censored quite um strategically in the first place because one thing that's relatively unusual about it is that it's a biography of a living author and obviously you do get quite a lot of memoirs. You get people doing their autobiographies or their memoirs. And of course they then decide what to put in and what to leave out and how to spin it and whatever. Um, I was very conscious that, you know, um, he's, he's of his family and I wanted to put the focus on him as a writer and his past and what made him become the writer he is rather than his current um, circumstances particularly. And uh, there were a couple of things he told me um, of a more personal nature that I, I put in that first draft. And then when I submitted it to the publisher and they'd read it and they'd you know, accepted it and we were at the editing stage, I actually wrote to him and said, just wonder if I should take those two things out. <laughs> if maybe, you know, I just, discretion is the better part of valor. And, and he said, yeah, I, I would appreciate it if you did. But he didn't tell me to, to do that. He didn't ask me to. He didn't insist that I should. So it was kind of, I, I guess I got to know him so well by then that I sort of instinct told me that 
mm, wasn't a good idea. So I, in other words, I took out a couple of things like that were more significant. Um, but otherwise, no, it was, uh, it was, I had a lot of freedom. <laughs> um, and I suppose the only other thing I'd say is that, of course, he's a huge brand in publishing. And uh, every now and then you have to be careful what you say around, <laughs> around the publishing, you know, industry itself. And that's one of the reasons it was great, of course, to publish it with a different publisher to his, because I had more more independence and more freedom. Um, what did you find out that was most different from the man that you got to know? I suppose inevitably you meet, you, you mean what about Jim Grant was yeah. most different to Lee Child? I suppose inevitably you meet Lee Child as a public figure. He's a public person, you know, I'm, I, I, okay, I did meet him socially first, but then I started going to events and I saw his public persona and I'd read interviews and, you know, so he, he's, he's, in a sense, he's a, he's a, he's a performer. Um, anyone who speaks publicly is really. And I guess I didn't realize, and therefore he's sort of front and center on stage, you know, the, the star of the show that he's in. Um, but when I met him, I think I, you know, I hadn't realised that at heart and historically he was very much the backstage guy. And if I, you know, an alternative title for, you know, I called it the Reacher guy because that's how people know him. If they don't know his name, you know, if they don't recognise the name Lee Child, then they you just say, oh, he's the guy who writes the Reacher books and they know who, who he is. Um, I could have called it the backstage guy because actually he's kind of quite a quiet guy and happy with his own company. He did all that work in theatre as a younger man behind the scenes. Um, and in, indeed, unless you're super successful or unless you're really pushing the marketing side of your work, which many writers, of course, have to do, um, Writing is a solitary pursuit. You do it, you know, in, in your room on your own. It's not a public facing thing, really. It's the, it's the book, as he always says, it's out there. So I guess I was a bit struck by that, that, um, that actually he's kind of a <laughs> quite a quiet, you know, guy who's quite just happy to be sitting in the sun reading his book, <laughs> rather than doing all the... Um, you know, all the uh, stuff in the public eye all the time. And I think that was a factor in his decision to retire as well, although it hasn't quite gone as he planned, I think. <laughs> What's her name? Trixie. Trixie, okay. You Trixie say is going to steal the show. She is. <laughs> <laughs> <Be> baby. <laughs> um, with the actual writing, how difficult did you find it? If your first is quite a major undertaking, was it harder than you thought? It was a major undertaking, but of course I had done a PhD, um, you know, many years before, but that's also a similar kind of length and you have to marshal a lot of information. So to that extent, I was used to dealing with, you know, large amount of information. Um, I think I was fortunate because at the critical point where I decided, okay, I need to just write now, um, 
I mean, I did continue to research, but I really need to get on with the writing. I was able to get a year in New York um, and I was based at um, the City University of New York for a year. And I was on my own. I was living on my own. And I didn't really know anyone. <laughs> very ironic. I didn't really know anyone in, in New York apart from Lee Child. I mean, <laughs> strange circumstances. Of course, I got to know other people. But um, and so I, I, I just sort of sat on my 11th floor apartment with this great view out of um, um, Soho towards the Hudson and wrote. And I think that was very conducive to writing because there were very few distractions. And I'm quite good at doing sustained, concentrated work once I get into it. I'm not so good if I've got lots of interruptions, but in that, those circumstances I, I am. And I think I was quite practical about it because I'd already written about by that point about 10 chapters I mean there are around 40 or something in the book and um, I'd realized that the way it worked for me was that I needed to take each chapter as a self-contained thing so you know each chapter would tell its own story which helped me a lot with the writing because I'm used to writing things of that length do it all the time and I also felt instinctively that it would help the reader with a very big book that you know you'd be able to read a chapter at a time it'd be quite satisfying hopefully and then you could put it down and pick it up again another time and and I basically found that that worked for me and I and I just needed to have an idea or an image or a moment in time um, or some kind of concept at the beginning that really would give me the um, organizing principle for the, that chapter and so everything I wrote would have to, in some way, maybe not obviously, but in some way relate to that basic idea. And I, and I found that, that that enabled me to complete chapters at a time. And, and also that by the time I got to the end of one chapter, I usually had an idea for the next. I mean, that wasn't absolutely seamless. There were moments when I was a bit uncertain, especially when it got to the career. The career was, in a way, the hardest uh, bit because to a certain extent you know it's doing the same thing 24 times so and and so I was never going to take it I was never going to take it book by book and the other thing I was never going to do and I realized this really quickly and people have remarked on the fact that it's not linear it's not chronological I mean I actually think of it as chronological but I sort of think of it as Jack Reacher having been there all along because the only reason you would pick up a biography of Lee Child is if you know his name or know his character. And, and therefore you already know that he's written these, you know, 24 best-selling novels. And to sort of pretend for the first 40 years that that hadn't happened, I just, I thought it would be too awkward. So I basically had the Reacher books there from the start. And that helped me quite a lot as well. But I, I, if I'm honest, um, it was hard work, but I found it really enjoyable. And I didn't find it, I think if I had tried to um, look ahead too far, I would have found it very daunting. But because I took it sort of one chapter at a time, I actually found it pretty enjoyable. And, uh, it's very in, intense and very immersive and kind of when, when I finished, I thought, oh, what am I gonna do with myself now? You know, and I still feel a bit like that because it was so all absorbing, you know. <laughs> and how long did it take from the first idea or the first agreement to actually getting it released? Uh, well, I guess I had the idea in around 2016 and it was published in 2020. 
Um, I guess I started working on it. And, and so I sort of was secretly gathering information. Well, not secretly, but I was just doing it. I was just gathering information for the first year or so without really knowing that I would be doing it. It wasn't until 2017 that we kind of reached an agreement. You know, we just both sort of thought, well, this is going to happen. And so then I then I was more, that's when I started um you know reaching out to other people and and uh going on trips to the places that he'd lived <laughs> um visiting the the scene of the crime as it were <laughs> uh, so that's when I started doing those more purposeful things if you like and um not long into that I, I there was also a kind of key point at Harrogate in 2017 and um that was when he was, you know, he received some Lifetime Achievement Award and I happened to be there because that was when he told me to, well, he just told me about his grandparents not long before that who lived in that part of the world. And so when I was at Harrogate and I wasn't really particularly part of the scene, I was there because he was there, more in a friendly capacity than anything else. And sort of one day I just said to him, I'm going to go to Otley where your grandparents lived because it was just a bus ride down the road, you know. And um, so I did. And that was that was a critical moment as well in the in the sort of writing, because that became the first chapter. Um, it was part of the stories he told me about his grandparents, which I love so much. I loved all his stories about his family. Um, he, he's, you know, he's got a very sort of a, he's got a great affection for the for history really in general for the past and he tells those stories so affectionately really and so I'd love the stories that he'd already told me and then I went to the place and and I saw where they lived and where he'd holidayed as a boy and, it, and that just you know I wrote that story basically I wrote that chapter and from then on I was both researching and writing at the same time really so it's the product of many years work really it's you know a big there was a lot of information together and then a lot of it to pull together. And yeah, uh, <laughs> deciding what to leave out was tricky. And then, of course, there was the whole edit. Funny, people say, oh, it's a big book, but it's, it's not by comparison to other literary biographies. Not, I'm not saying it should be longer. I don't think it should be, but... A lot of literary biographies are very long. I mean, hundreds more pages. And also, one ironic thing that people don't realise, it's at least 100 pages shorter than his first draft of Killing Floor was. <laughs> I mean, his first draft of Killing Floor, his first book, was like one and a half books. And he had to be really ruthless with the cutting. And, uh, you know, so... It's all a matter of perspective and it's all relative, really. But if you think about a life, capturing a life in a book, it may seem big and there's a lot of detail, but you're by definition, you're leaving most of it out. You know, it's, it's inevitable unless you write a book a year or something. <laughs> um, what's been your standout highlight moment? since you started writing to the release of the book, what's been the moment you thought, this is awesome? <laughs> I 
that's quite a difficult question to be honest because there have been lots of highlights um you know obviously publication itself getting seeing your own book in book form is pretty special and the publisher did such a lovely job of it I mean they really did produce a beautiful book and I'll be forever grateful to them for that so that was huge um I kind of got a big thrill out of Lee interviewing me for the well, sorry, there was no pun intended, but for the Big Thrill magazine in the States. That was just kind of fun when someone had that idea, oh, why don't we get Lee to ask Heather the questions for a change? So that was great. Um, and I suppose, but I suppose perhaps it was when I went to the archive at the University of East Anglia. Um, they have the Lee Child archive there, you know, boxes and boxes of his papers and bits and pieces that he just threw into boxes over the years. And it was, I suppose, seeing that first handwritten draft of Killing Floor, you know, because famously he wrote it in pencil and um, he wrote it all out by hand several times. But I, I think that, and that was a case where he said he had absolutely forgotten how much work he'd put into it because it's a long time ago and he's done it so many times. And in a way it became easy because, or he had confidence that he could do it because he'd done it before and it had been successful. So after a while, you, you know, you, you believe in yourself, don't you? But um, that first one, he put just so much work and I was astounded by the amount of work he put into it. And, um, you know, all the, all the sort of meticulous, not planning of plot, or character, he had a completely clear vision of character from the outset and plot, you know, back of an envelope stuff. Um, although it did get revised later, it was all about the style and the mechanics of the book and how long it should be and how many words per chapter and what other writers were doing. And it was all very, very carefully planned as a product. You know, he was always a businessman. He always approached it as a product. You know, how does a book like this work? And um, how can I, it's not cynical really, it's um, how can I do the best possible job of this task I've set myself? You know, I want to write this kind of book and I want to do it as well as I possibly can. So he put in vast amounts of research and um, himself, again, not about the content, but really about how, you know, what it takes to write a book that's, going to sell, going to be commercial fiction, going to be popular, going to be a page turner. And I was, um, it was a real highlight. I don't, I don't think anyone had seen, apart from the archivist, of course, people who work in the archive, I don't think anyone had seen that handwritten draft for decades. Um, not sure the publisher ever saw it. You know, they saw the typescript. Um, so it was fascinating and it was fascinating to see how quickly his style developed and the correspondence between him and his first editor, who was in the States, uh, not in, was, was in New York, not in London. And that correspondence was fascinating, the feedback that he got and the way they worked together and how quickly he got the hang of it. <laughs> so, yeah, that was a big highlight. It's, yeah, that sounds amazing. What a, a, a treat to be able to see mm. that stuff. Mm -hmm. So what's next for you? Have you got the bug and do you want to do it again? Is there anyone else that you'd want to? It's a million dollar question, isn't it? Um, <laughs> yeah. 
you know, I guess the simple answer is no, there's no one else at the moment that I'm, I'm thinking of writing a full length biography of. I do, I do like telling the stories of people's lives. I think I'm fascinated by real stories, real people, real lives and trying to get that balance between, you know, sort of giving a factual account of their life and, but, but, but making it readable. So giving it the, the feel, the quality of a story so that people actually enjoy the read. I mean, I, as you probably know, I just did one the other day of, you know, a little mini biography really of Amir Anwar for The Independent. And, you know, and I'd done something like that under the languages heading before where I was employed by Cambridge University to tell um, the stories of people who were multilingual and how they'd come to be multilingual and how that had defined their life and, and who they were. And so I guess I've been doing this thing of telling other people's stories for, for a while. And um, I suppose, you know, I could tell the story of my own life, but uh, you're always all more interested in other people, aren't you? I mean, it, it, Lee, is that's, Lee, everyone always says to me, well, why, why don't you do your own biography? Why don't you do your own? More? And he said, I'm bored by my story. You know, I've lived that life. I, I want to I tell other stories. Um, so I guess you never, you never think your own story is as fascinating as someone else's, really. So maybe I will do more in that kind of um, realm. Uh, but yeah, uncertain at the moment, to be honest, Donna. <laughs> I'm not too worried about it. I'm very happy with having written that book and I'm kind of quite proud of having done it. And it's not like being a writer of popular fiction. I have, there's no compulsion for me to produce the next one in the next six months. You know, it's not a series. <laughs> Part of me might wish it were, but it isn't. And it's not like, you know, I have so many writers in that genre are under such pressure to produce constantly. And no doubt they enjoy it too, but it's not like that for me. <laughs> You're not tempted to dip your toe into writing fiction? Well, again, I did do that little story recently for the Everyday Kindness book, which was great fun and um I can kind of imagine myself writing short stories I think it comes back to that thing I was saying about the chapters you know I think I can uh, I think I can craft a story a short story probably quite well with some key little detail or point but I don't have um I don't I don't think much of myself as a master plotter or <laughs> I don't I know, you, you know, it, never, never say never, it could happen, it could happen. Yeah, that was a great story in Everyday Kindness. Yeah. Oh, thank that was, you. That was a great um, project as well, what an incredible Such person. a wonderful project. Mm, I mean, I'd love to do more of that kind of thing and contribute to anthologies and stuff. I mean, I found that really satisfying, both um, aesthetically and personally, really, it was a kind of collaboration, even though, you know, I mean, so much of our lives in the last sort of couple of years has been solitary, but you felt you feel like you're collaborating. And of course, that was the great thing about doing the blog tour recently for the Reacher Guy that you were part of. It was, you know, that sort of feeling of collaborating with other people. And actually, you asked about the highlight. Obviously, the biggest highlight is feedback from readers. 
I mean, there, it, that is wonderful. And, of course, Lee Child has been living off that for years, <laughs> living and thriving and feeding. And I've just got a tiny little flavour of it. You know, when someone reads your book and writes to your comments, there's nothing. You know, it's just lovely. And um, that's got to be the real personal highlight. You know, when people are moved by what you've written or, or find it interesting or instructive or just engage with it um it's special so yeah i'd love to do more work in sort of anthologies and actually i've had a couple of ideas for anthologies that i myself could edit um so you know i might pursue some of those ideas uh in due course <laughs> so we'll keep your name in our minds then and we'll see it again sometime <laughs> oh, i hope so thank you donna <laughs> Um, well, I can't think of any more questions for you unless you think there's anything that you haven't told us. That you yeah, want to. it's been a great conversation. Thank you very much for sort of having me. And uh, thanks to Trixie for <laughs> you know, taking part. Yep. <laughs> Mostly our ears. <laughs> yeah, they're great ears, I have to yeah. say. No, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. Uh, before we go, would you just like to remind everyone where they can get the book from and where they can find out more about you if they'd like to? Oh, yeah. Well, um, I'm not very organised. I don't have a website. I'm quite active on Twitter at Dr. Heather Martin, and I enjoy those conversations that I have with people on there. Um, the book, I mean, I guess it's a case of it being available in all, all bookshops, or at least in principle, or they can order it, <laughs> as well as the usual online sources. Um, there are a couple of bookshops that are uh, do have the, the sort of double-signed um, book plates, which are a bit special and the bookmarks to go with the uh, biography, you know, with a quote from Lee and they've been really nicely produced and he's signed them all. I sent them all over to the States and he signed them and sent them back. So it's been a labor of love. And uh, there are bookshops that have those. And I, I kind of, um, Kenilworth Books in Coventry, near where he was born, has all the accessories <laughs> but there are also others and I do talk about them I do try to mention them um, regularly on Twitter so that people know where to go if they want something a little bit special of course it's been exciting having the paperback come out and it was really exciting to have that endorsement from Ian Rankin as well on the paperback and uh, I felt very fortunate to have that so yeah it should be fairly readily available and I suppose I should say you know, reach tends to come up quite a bit at Christmas. So <laughs> I think it would pair quite well with the, the reachable book under the tree if people are. And, and I always say, and broadly speaking, I think it's true. Most of us know a reacher fan or two um, in our lives. So hopefully it'll, it'll reach a few people this Christmas and find a few more readers. Thanks very much, Donna. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> okay.